wouldn't relocate to a new city without first researching it. Yet, as a Christian, you'll live in heaven one day. Have you done your heavenly homework? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah aims to help you prepare by turning the spotlight on the glorious place where you'll be living for eternity. From the series, Signs, here's David to introduce today's timely message, What's Up With Heaven? Thank you for joining us, friends. We are going through a three-month study called 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. And today, uh, we're going to talk about heaven and what's up with heaven. I heard a message some years ago at a Bible conference, and the title of that message was, What's Up With Heaven? I never forgot that message. And I never forgot the title, so I borrowed the title for this message. It's about heaven and some things you may never have thought about as we look forward to the place where we're going to spend eternity. We are making available during the month of April a little booklet called Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. Uh, This book uh, will have some intriguing things for you to think about, and it's yours for the asking when you send a gift to Turning Point of any size during this month. We have these available right now. They'll be put in the mail to you as soon as we get your request, and we hope you will do that uh, right now while you're thinking about it. Your help is needed, and we're thankful for the opportunity we have to uh, add value to your life when we send these resources back to say thank you. All right, it's time to get started. Let's ask this question and see if we can get some answers. Here we go with What's Up With Heaven. I'm going to be talking with you about what the Bible says about heaven, probably the most misunderstood doctrine in the Scripture, and unfortunately misunderstood by a lot of God's people. We get caught up in the myths that surround heaven. And so we're going to talk about this, and it seems to me very appropriate because the Bible tells us we're going to spend eternity there. And it would make sense, would it not, to check out the place where you're going to live forever and ever? and find out all you can about it, and there's a lot in the Bible about it, and we're going to talk about all the different aspects of it. Some of you know that over the years that I've been here, one of my favorite things has been the collection of epitaphs. I don't know how I got started on that, but somebody got me started, and I started collecting them. And Of course, epitaphs are very fitting for a series on heaven because it's written on your tombstone. And I thought during this series I might share some of my favorite ones with you right up front. Here's my all-time favorite. I love this one. It goes like this. Here lies the body of old man Pease, buried neath the flowers and trees. But Pease ain't here, just the pod. Pease shelled out and went to God. That's actually on a tombstone someplace up in the Northwest. And it's very, very appropriate epitaph because it's very accurate. That's what happens when you die as a Christian. You shell out and you go to God. The pod stays here, right? Well, I shared that back east at a conference, and a lady came up to me after she had heard this and a bit later she had gone home and she told me that this little epitaph got her into a lot of trouble and I could not imagine how this could have gotten her into trouble but she explained to me that she had not written it down correctly and when she went to share it with the ladies missionary group what came out was here lies the body of old man peas buried neath the flowers and trees but peas ain't here just the shell She said immediately she knew she was in trouble and she couldn't finish it out. Well, I have a whole lot of these and they're very interesting and it's amazing what people write or have written on their tombstone. It was Sunday and in Sunday school the fifth grade class was convening. The teacher 
was drilling her class about the gospel and salvation. And she was quizzing them at this particular moment in the class, and she said, if I sold everything I owned and I gave the money to the church, would that get me into heaven? And the whole class responded spontaneously with a big no. Well, she said, if I cleaned my house every day, mowed the yard, planted flowers, made my home beautiful, would that get me into heaven? And once again, you can just see it if you've been around kids. Everybody said, no. Well, if I was kind to animals and polite to my friends, and if I loved my family, would that get me into heaven? As if programmed, the answer was once again a resounding no. Well, the teacher said, then how can I get to heaven? And a little boy who was new to Sunday school that week shouted out the answer from the back, you have to be dead. (laughs) Well, the fact is, that's true, isn't it? If Jesus doesn't return to take us to be with him, the only way you can get to heaven is to die. And that means every one of us has a chance to go to heaven because the current death rate is 100%. And unless Christ returns soon, we're all going to die. Worldwide, three people die every second, 180 every minute, nearly 11,000 every hour. And if the Bible is right about what happens to us after death, that means that more than 250,000 people every day go either to heaven or to hell. Here in our country, we seem to have lost interest in all of this. A 2003 Harris poll indicated that 82% of the American people believe in heaven. 63% said they expected to go there after they died. But you can't help but thinking of the old spiritual that says lots of folks talking about heaven ain't going there. (laughs) If recent trends are any gauge, you may be sitting in a service that's very unusual. Because you will not hear many sermons preached today about heaven nor about hell. You will not hear about the nature of paradise that is awaiting all of those who put their trust in Christ. Heaven remains a very popular subject in the imaginations of novelists and filmmakers, but it has become a seldom discussed topic among Christian teachers and preachers of all stripes. Catholic, mainline Protestant, evangelical, nobody talks about heaven anymore. Among the mainline Protestants, it's thought that speculation about the nature of a personal afterlife is anti-intellectual, belongs to the realm of the sawdust floor evangelist. Some say that too much talk of the next world might distract us from the efforts to relieve suffering in this world. And because the church does not have heaven on its mind, Sometimes the church becomes indulgent and self-centered and weak. Sometimes its present comfort consumes its thoughts, and heaven is just an afterthought. And one of the reasons why the statistics from the Barna Research Company and even from the Gallup polls tell us that there's hardly any difference in the stands of morals and living styles between Christians and non-Christians I believe can be laid at the feet of this great omission in much of the preaching and teaching today. You see what happens when you forget that God has prepared a place for you in heaven where you will spend eternity and that it is a glorious, wonderful place and it's real and it's not imaginary. When you begin to doubt that or when you begin to push it off your radar screen, 
The next thing that happens, because you have a hunger for that in your heart, you start to try to create it here on this earth. And you will spend every dime and go to every extreme to try to figure out how you can make your situation on this earth as much like the things you've heard about heaven as you can. Get rid of the pain, get all the toys, live in a beautiful place, and all of it sometimes is the result of not understanding that while those things are okay, you could never approximate that which God has in mind for you in the place we call heaven. You can try for the rest of your life. You can get consultants to help you. You can do anything you can imagine to try to create heaven on earth, and it's impossible. You know the richest man who ever lived tried it. The wisest man who ever lived tried it. He discovered that it was all just vanity. God has placed within your heart and within mine a hunger for eternity, a hunger for heaven. And if we do not understand that, and if we do not feed that hunger with the spiritual truth of the Word of God, we will end up suppressing that need and replacing it with cheap and tawdry things that will leave us empty and without satisfaction. So what's up with heaven? What do we need to know about it? But today I want to just examine some certain things that I think might be sort of foundational for us as we move forward. I'd like to talk with you for a moment about the prominence of heaven. As I've said, it's not being mentioned in churches much anymore, but isn't it surprising how much it seems to be popping up, in an irreverent manner at least, in popular culture? Heaven is of interest to some people. It just seems so strange that we don't seem to care much about it. Did you know that heaven's mentioned over 500 times in the Bible? In the Old Testament, the word is shemayim. It's a plural word. It means the heights. In the New Testament, the Greek word is Uranus, and it inspires the name of the planet, Uranus, which is the same name. The word refers to that which is raised up or lofty. So the two words from the Old Testament Hebrew, from the New Testament Greek, Speak of heaven as a place that is high and lofty and lifted up. And that word is found over and over and over in the Bible. You could not have a Bible if you took the word heaven out. It would just be a mishmash. Heaven is prominent in the teaching of the scripture. It's prominent in a strange way in our postmodern culture. Just not prominent in our hearts and prominent in our thoughts. But I want to talk with you secondly about the plurality of heaven. Did you know the three heavens? You say, man, I'm trying to figure out one. You tell me there's three. In fact, when Paul was writing his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter, he mentions an occasion in the 12th chapter when he was caught up, he says, into the third heaven. And then later on, he refers to that as being caught up into paradise. So Paul apparently had a premature opportunity to see the third heaven. Now, if there's such a place as the third heaven, there must be more than one. There has to be at least three. So let me tell you what the three heavens are. First of all, the first heaven is what we might call the atmospheric heaven. The first heaven is mentioned in Scripture a number of times. For instance, in Isaiah 55, verse 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down from heaven, the atmospheric heaven refers to that blanket of air immediately surrounding our earth, in which birds and clouds move. Genesis 1.20 says it this way, Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. 
The first heaven is the heaven you see when you walk out into your yard at night and you look up into the sky and you see the envelope sort of that surrounds our earth. But then the second heaven is mentioned in the Bible as well. And that is referred to in Genesis chapter 1 verses 14 through 17. Listen to what it says. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for the lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater lights to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. The stellar heavens, the second heaven, refers to the outer space that contains the sun, the moon, the stars, and all of the galaxies. That's the second heaven. But remember, Paul said he was caught up to the third heaven. And this is where we read that in 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. This is what Paul writes. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, he's referring to himself here, who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to a third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, but he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Paul is saying there is something beyond the atmospheric heaven. There's something beyond the stellar heavens. There is a third heaven, and it is in that heaven that God resides. In fact, in the Bible, we are told over and over again that God is in heaven. We are taught to pray, our Father who art in heaven. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 16, we are told that we're to let our light so shine that men might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Psalm 11:4 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Whenever you see that referred to as the place where God is, he's not in the atmospheric heaven. He's not in the stellar heavens, in essence of his residence. He is in the third heaven, the heaven which is the heaven of heavens, where God resides. And it is that heaven to which we Aspire. It is that third heaven where we are going someday to be with God and to be with Jesus Christ. Well, you say, that's good. We have three heavens, and now I know that the third heaven is where I'm going someday if I'm a Christian. So let's talk thirdly, not only about the prominence of heaven and the plurality of it, let's talk about the place of heaven. John chapter 14 Would you just turn there? That's a central passage on the subject of heaven. So turn to John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. Now let me put this scripture in its context. Jesus had announced to his disciples that he was going to the cross and he was going to die. He was going to be buried and he was going to be resurrected. And then ultimately he was going back to heaven. His disciples were filled with sorrow and their hearts were troubled. They didn't understand this. Put yourself in their place. We have a challenge to understand it sometimes looking back on it as history. They were experiencing as it happened. And Jesus said, I'm going to go away. And his disciples were filled with anxiety, and they wanted to know where and why and how. 
And Jesus gave them this truth in John 14. He says, I don't want your hearts to be troubled. Don't be filled with anxiety about this. I want to tell you something. In my Father's house, there are many mansions, and I'm going up there and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare this place, I'm going to come again and get you and take you where I am, that where I am you may be also. And Thomas, the doubter, he didn't understand this. He said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know how to get there? They didn't understand it. But we understand it now, don't we? We know that Jesus was promising something not just to his disciples, but to all of us. And I want you to notice what he says. He went to heaven to prepare a place, a place for us. He did not go to change our state of mind. He did not go to place us in a sort of a spiritual funk so that we would think about good things and that would be our heaven. No, heaven is referred to in the Bible over and over as a place. And there are many metaphors for heaven in the Bible. For instance, on some occasions, heaven is referred to as a country. And when we hear that, we're reminded of the vastness of its territory. Sometimes it's referred to as the celestial city. When we think of heaven as a city, we see in our mind's eye the inhabitants and the marketplace and the commerce. Sometimes heaven is referred to as a kingdom. And when we refer to it as a kingdom, we think of the organization and the government and the process. But the best definition of heaven, in my estimation, is right here in John chapter 14, where Jesus said, it's my father's house. It's my father's house. Most of us here who grew up in warm and loving families have great memories of the father's house. Something about it, it's like a magnet that draws you back. Whether you move across the country or even around the world, there's something about the Father's house that you want to come back to. My wife and I used to drive on a weekend over a thousand miles one way to come back to the Father's house just to spend two or three hours there and then turn around and go back. And I've always told my father before he died that I never would forgive him for selling that place because that was the father's house. He sold it and downsized, you know what I mean, like so many people do. And I understand that. But for me, that was a bummer because my father's house was gone, never was the same. You see, there's something very intimate and sweet and personal about heaven when you talk about it being the father's house. It's no longer an empty space. In your mind's eye, you see furniture, don't you? You see decorations on, you see the warmth that's a part of a home. And Jesus has promised us that if we put our trust in him, he has prepared a place for us in heaven that is in his father's house. And we are privileged to be a part of living there in that place forever and ever. Please hear me. Heaven is not, as some people say, an imaginary place. Some people say heaven is a benevolent state of mind, a reward for being good. Some say heaven or hell is whatever you make of it in this life, a projection of the best in yourself. But listen to me, men and women. Heaven is not a figment of imagination. It is not a feeling or emotion. Heaven is not the beautiful isle of somewhere. Heaven is not merely a thought form. It is not a projection of the best in you. It is not a vision of a longed-for utopia. It is not a pleasing hope or the invention of man. Our thoughts do not make heaven. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. 
It is a place. And the word in the New Testament language is the word T-O-P-O-S, tapas, which is a very strict word in concerning a place that you can locate. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And I believe that there is a literal place called heaven. If you ask me exactly where it is, I don't know that I can answer that totally with authority, but let me tell you what I believe the Bible teaches. Most of the time when we talk about heaven, we say it's up, don't we? Heaven is up. Ephesians 4.10 says that he who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And when Jesus was ready to go back to heaven in his ascension, in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, we read, While they looked steadfastly toward heaven, he went up. Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So we would have to assume that heaven is up. But which way is up? If we say it is in the direction at right angles with the earth's surface, wherever we may happen to be, then it would be in a different direction from every point on the earth. (laughs) According to this, up would be everywhere in general and nowhere in particular. It would be different if you were in China than it is if you were in America. Well, let me just try to help you with this if I can. Where is heaven? Heaven is up. But I want you to read with me a passage that gives us a little information on Isaiah chapter 14. It has to do with the issue of Satan and his being kicked out of heaven. But notice chapter 14. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Just underline that last phrase referring to the place where he was as heaven. He refers to it in this chapter as the farthest sides of the north. Now, no matter what part of the earth you are on, no matter where you are standing, north will always be up. It would seem reasonable to conclude that heaven is somewhere in the northern heavens beyond the reach of the astronomer's powerful telescope. And scientists tell us there is such a place that seems to be somewhat vacant of stars and galaxies, and it is in the northern heavens, and most scholars who want to particularly place heaven in the third heaven section say it's in the northern part of the third heaven. Hmm. Did you know there were three heavens? (laughs) Well, there are three heavens, and the only one we care about right now is the third heaven, or the heaven where we will be with the Lord forever and ever. And we'll have more about that tomorrow here on Turning Point. As we meet for the Thursday edition, we'll talk about heaven again. On Friday, we're going to discuss the pretenders. And if you'd like to follow along in all of these messages that have to do with the future, there are 31 of them, and uh, they're in a series called 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. Here's a couple of things. There's a book by that name, a 460-page book you can get from our website or at your local bookseller. 
You can get the study guides only from Turning Point at davidjeremiah.org. These three study guides just follow through the series for all three months. Uh, I'm opened up to the first part of the second study guide because we're in the second month. This is April, and we're in uh, lesson number 14, but it's just one of the first two or three lessons in the second volume. It's heaven and what's up with heaven. So you get these study guides, and you have a much better opportunity to grab hold of this information and fit it in the right place and understand what is ahead for us as we look forward to the future. I hope you'll get the study guides. You can get them from Turning Point at davidjeremiah.org. Thank you for uh, joining us today. Thank you for loving prophecy and uh, loving the teaching of the Word of God. Your letters, your emails, uh, your information back to us, whatever we see you is so encouraging. Uh, The Bible tells us we'll be blessed when we study these things, and I am blessed. I hope you are too. And we'll see you next time right here on Turning Point. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Bible Prophecy by the Numbers, David's new resource that relates the numbers in Scripture to God's prophetic plan. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca study. That's davidjeremiah.ca study. Do you wish you had a better grasp of Bible prophecy? Then you'll love Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. Grow in your understanding of end times events and discover what the numbers and prophecy mean. This fascinating book is yours with the gift of any amount this month and give $70 or more to receive this book plus two other answer books that will help address your most pressing questions about end times and Bible prophecy. Find out more at davidjeremiah.ca. Someone once said, 
everyone knows what happens to people who stay in the middle of the road. What happens is they get run over. There's a little lesson about decision-making in that observation. Most experts agree that indecision is worse than making the wrong decision. Why? Because learning what doesn't work is a form of progress, but indecision leads nowhere. The Bible has a helpful word about making decisions. Proverbs says that even though man makes plans and decisions, it is God who directs our steps. There's an encouraging mystery in that truth, that somehow God uses even our mistakes to move us forward. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's part in your decisions on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.